Welcome to the Win Daily Show. My name is Sia Najad. This, of course, is the PGA live stream, which will be a podcast in short order for everybody to listen to a second or a third time. So I'm going to start before I even get to you, Joel. I, I got to start with Nick at Sticks Picks because last week, and I posted it on my Twitter. For those of you, you can see my my handle right there. Go check it out. Last week. We did the outrights at the end of the show, like we always do. And, you know, Nick hasn't always been with us to do outrights, so I can't even compliment him on how many outrights he's he's gotten, you know, live on the air that have actually been right. You know, I've had a few here and there. So he comes at me with 66 to 1, I like Hideki Matsuyama. And he says 100 to 1, I like Justin Rose. So the clip I posted earlier today was me basically cyberbullying sticks picks because of how bad his Hideki pick was for the masters. I mean, it was just like as condescending. It was just like dripping with condescension and fast forward to two days ago and Hideki Matsuyama, a guy I've been tooling on for quite some time actually wins the masters. So Nick, the floor is yours. I don't know if you want to take a victory lap. I don't know if you want to cyber bully me back, but congratulations. I know you had an outright ticket on it and that was an awesome pick. Hey, I appreciate it. I would have preferred Justin Rose one because I put a lot on that. Um, he just, I had him priced at like 40 to one. I think I said that on the show last week. So like 60 points of value, actually 600 points of value, I guess you'd call it. Just insane value for me there. So I, I would have preferred Justin Rose. But yeah, Hideki, I've been looking at him for the last couple of weeks. I know at the Valero, he played really, really well, just struggled putting. So that was like the only metric that gave him a negative grade for me, but I had him priced right around 40 to one as well. So there's more of me just taking advantage of the market, but I'll take the high road. I'm not going to dog on you or anything like that. Um, yeah. Perfect hair. Like, so oh, if anything, I'll just give you a compliment, but you know, all right, you know, on to the next term. We'll see if we can do it again though. Let's see if we can do it again. Uh, Joel, let me, let me ask you this. I mean, I did okay in the masters from a DFS standpoint last week. I did great in the head to head market, man. I'm starting to really click with head to heads and, and a lot of them, you know, we'll discuss some at the end of this show. And I know the better golf pod that, that sticks, sticks picks does with uh, Spencer Aguiar. They do a lot of outrights, top forties, top twenties, but I'll tell you mid tourney, there's so much information to be had. So I can sort of celebrate my head to head success while my DFS was, you know, kind of middling. I was kind of all in on Dustin Johnson. That did not work out. I had a couple shares of Jason Day and Patrick Cantlay. We'll talk about Patrick in a few minutes. That didn't work out. Joel, how did you do overall? So I, uh, I actually had a lot of success on showdown per usual. Um, mm-hmm. I, I got third on Friday. So I took home about six grand Friday. Uh, and then throughout the rest of the week, I think I won a grand Friday, one grand on uh, Sunday in showdown. So had a really good showdown day. My week long lineups uh, were not great, um, but I won most of my money back. So not terrible. I was able to have a profitable week because of showdown. Give me, and there's a reason I'm asking you this. Give me one or two guys that really let you down from a week long DFS standpoint at the Masters. The the biggest letdown was DJ, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just having that much of your salary and not even make the cut really is just a, a big stinger. Um, and and Bryson too. The interesting thing about Bryson that I'm just keeping an eye on this week, you know, knowing obviously that we're going to be doing the Masters every year, was he wasn't as bad as it looked, right? Like he, those holes that he talked about eagling, he eagled. He had the he had the birdies. He just blew up to way too many times, which is like is going to happen at the Masters. Uh, so, and that is kind of part of his game, which is a lot of the reason why, you know, people don't like him. So he's going to need to find a week where he strings it together and doesn't have those blow ups. But, you know, he's still, he was in good form. You know, a lot of what he did, you know, looked good 
uh, last week. Fair enough. Um, I'll tell you the, the, a couple guys that, that really dinged me. I guess we talked about it. Patrick Cantley. I wasn't on Berger. Um, I wasn't on Spieth that much either. I decided to take the fade route there, and that didn't really hook me up. But let's turn the page. We're, we're at the RBC Heritage here in South Carolina. Coastal course. Um, Nick, let me start with you. Uh, was there anything in particular you were looking for, any metrics that you were outweighing versus other metrics um, for this one? More just approach and then accuracy yeah. off the tee and greens and regulation were like the three that I really weighed the heaviest. I'm sure you guys are probably the same. I, I didn't do a whole lot with putting. I was kind of caught in between there because if you look at like historical winners, strokes team putting's kind of down, but then you've had, I forgot who it was, that gained a ton of strokes putting when they won it. But um, and then around the green, it, it just, you know, like a medium weight for me. It's funny to see Wesley Bryant on the on the winners, uh, past winners here. But um, pretty much everything that Webb Simpson does really well are the the grades that I put pretty high. And I actually don't like Webb Simpson this week. We'll get into that. But, yeah. Oh, that's uh, amazing. Uh, that is yep. amazing how you just did that. Um, that's fair. Anything to add to that, Joel? I mean, I, I agree with all his metrics. You know, in, in my models, I might throw in super small percentage points, more to more to just see it than than to have it grayed out of the model. But like birdies are better gained. I gave that a small percentage. But but I agree in, in some proximities, um, fairways gained. I decided to kind of stick that in there. But yeah, I think driving accuracy and approach is absolutely huge here. And I do think around the green because the greens are so small. Um, it's I think the second smallest on tour. So I, I think. You know, it'll be great if you hit the greens, but there's going to be times, especially with the wind, you're not hitting the greens and that short game will come into play. Anything else to add to to kind of what you're looking at? Yeah, for the first time ever this week, and, and I'm just basing this off what I'm reading on about the course in, in previous years. For the first time ever in building my models and who I'm going to be playing this week, I weighted putting, which I've never done before. Putting is never taken into account. So um, it looks like this week it's going to be pretty important and getting guys in form. But with that being said, um, while I did weigh putting, still number one person that came out, and I guess it's a little teaser for the show, but my number one person that came out was Morikawa, who's not a good punter. So uh, I know how much I've weighted it, but it's involved. Fair enough. Yeah, Morikawa's high on my model, too. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about him. So let's just jump into it. Before I do, though, uh, let's let's give S-Guy some attention here. S-Guy is a faithful follower, always coming in to say hi. So S-Guy, thanks for saying hi. Um uh, wishing your lineups and your outrights to be uh, very good this week. So let's get started. Uh, Nick, I'll start with you. We're in this, we're in this elite range, which is what I like to call the 10K and above range. You know, obviously Bryson DeChambeau withdrew a couple days ago, so we it's it's a small range. You, got, you start with Daniel Berger at the bottom of the range, Cameron Smith, Colin Morikawa, Webb Simpson, Patrick Cantley, and then of course we're top just like we were last week with Dustin Johnson. Um, who sticks out to you here? Uh, Daniel Berger is actually number one in my model outright, so I'm going to play a ton of him. I think this is just a really good bounce back spot for him. I think the course sets up extremely well for him. And then in terms of like ownership, it's all going to go to Webb Simpson and Kyle Morikawa. And Webb Simpson showed up like 17th overall for me. So in a DFS perspective, for him to have like value, I, I'd kind of want him like top five, top two at that price, really. But I'm going to fade Webb Simpson. I don't think I will make one lineup with him, even in cash, which I think may be a suicide mission, but I think there's just tons of value. And like we said before we went on air, there's a lot of good players in this tournament. So like you can make a really good cash lineup and you could avoid these top three guys. Uh, DJ, I'm just not going to pay the price. I, I don't know. Like It's going to be fun to see him play like target golf. Usually he kind of overpowers golf courses, and especially um, uh, what am I saying? What's the course here? What's it called again? Harbortown. We were just talking about it. Yeah, Harbortown. It's short. It's only like seventy-one hundred yards. So DJ should 
like from a distance perspective, tear it up, but you just can't play that way off the tee. So I'm going to fade him, I think. I'm not sure about Morikawa. I don't really like his putting at all. So I think the top two guys for me are the two lowest owned here, Ed Berger and Cameron Smith. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what. So, oh, Cameron Smith, that's interesting. We'll talk about him in a second. So, Joel, uh, what do you have to add to that? Any other guys you like or guys you don't like here? Yeah, so, so like I said, Morikawa is the, the top guy for me this week. I think uh, he Morikawa typically wins on, on a week where, you know, people are starting to maybe – second guess him a little bit or maybe overlook him coming off the masters uh listen he's still gonna have a pretty good ownership but uh and i don't feel like a lot of people are talking colin morikawa this week so um you know the way he's hitting the ball i love him a lot i i'm, I'm with i'm with you guys on the fact that you know dj's just too much too too cost too much for the way his, what his form is right now so I'm, i don't love you know trying to take any darts on dj I liked Webb coming into the week, but if his ownership is going to be over 20% at this price, it does certainly make sense to try and get away from him. Yeah, and it's going to be over 20%, but I don't know how much over 20% it's going to be. We'll see uh, with Steven's ownership article on windailysports.com tomorrow. But yeah, I mean, it's probably going to be in the 22 23% range is, is what I'm guessing. L- let me ask you this. I-, I don't know when you guys did your models, did you either factor in or maybe in a separate way you factored it in guys who are good on on Pete Dye courses because and I'm trying to look right now where Webb Simpson grades out let's say since early last year I mean he's he's not really that high up actually on Pete Dye courses and I'm just going to January 2020 but you know he's in the top 20 for sure but forget about Webb for a second um do you got how much Joel I'll start with you here you know how much did you factor in sort of the, the Pete Dye track so it's a factor for me it's not you know it's more something that I'm looking at secondary like let me find some guys that excel on Pete Dye courses and add them in. Uh, but it's not a baseline thing. I'm sorry. Like, I only want to play guys that excel on Pete Dye. So for me, it's more something that once I've built my models, I've built my pool, then I want to look at the, the, the Pete Dye tracks and say, okay, here's a handful of guys that have really excelled here uh, that I want to kind of get in the mix. But the only concern with that is now that you know DFS golf has picked up so much steam, everyone's doing that. And you'll mm-hmm. notice like guys like Abraham Answer who have an outstanding Pete Dye track record – his ownership is like crazy looking right now. So yeah. um, that's one thing where I'm, it's also kind of keeping me a little bit off of it just because the ownership looks wild. No, that makes sense. I mean, Answer's a good ball striker anyway, but he's particularly good. Like if you just rate out what, what I what I went back to, which was January, it just happens to be January 10th, 2020. And I'm looking at T to green as opposed to total strokes gain. And you're right, Abraham Answer, it's only 23 measured rounds, but he's fifth. And 23 measured rounds, by the way, is actually more than almost everybody now, um, now that I look at it, because obviously we only have so many Pete Dye tracks. But, but Nick, let me ask you, because I agree with Berger. I, I love the bounce pack spot for him. I love that, you know, he actually played, if you look at his approach numbers at the Masters, where, of course, he missed the cut. Yeah, yeah, that sucks that he missed the cut, but his approach numbers were great. It was just the, the strokes. I mean, he lost so many strokes putting. So I, lo- I love him on this course. I think it's a good bounce pack spot. And on top of that, He's great on Pete Dye tracks. I mean, I'm looking at, it's only 16 measured rounds, but he's number two, T to green. This again, dates back to January, 2020. So I think I like Daniel Berg. I'm kind of splitting the baby here because I like Webb Simpson too. So I, I feel like I like the super chalk in Webb Simpson and I, you know, Berger is going to be a little chalky. What I wanted to ask you both about though, before we move to the 9K range, Nick, I'll start with you. What are the thoughts on Patrick Cantlay? Because obviously he had a miserable week last week, but he grades out really in every category, if you go for any period of time, whether it's 36 rounds or 100 rounds, like obviously he's good off the tee, around the green, on approach. He's a good putter. 
Pete Dye tracks. I'm looking now. Yeah, he's up there. He's way. He doesn't have a ton of measured rounds on Pete Dye tracks, but he's way up there. Uh, what are the thoughts on Cantlay? And any any hesitation to go back to him? No, I'll, I'll play a ton of him, especially if he's you know his ownership is probably going to be half of Webb Simpson, maybe not that much, but we'll see with the ownership article tomorrow. I got him pegged for right around like ten to twelve percent right now. So if people are just going to not play him just because of a bad week last week, he checks every single box here. And if you look like offshore and, you know, with the legal books in the United States, if you kind of aggregate everything, he's slightly over even money to finish top 10. He's like plus 140, plus 150 for a top 10 finish. That is some of the shortest prices I've seen in the market for any golfer. So Vegas likes to bounce back here, and that's enough for me. And If if people are going to fade him in DFS, not necessarily fade him, but if he's only going to be a 10% own guy when he's usually like a walking top 10 when he's in good form i don't even want to say he's in bad form because the masters just one bad week i'm all in on cantley for sure uh and joel what are your thoughts here i mean if you're on cantley that's fine but like is he kind of like fourth fiddle here in this elite range or or do you like him maybe third best or be fifth honest, best or you don't like him at all my take on cantley is the exact same it's if his ownership is it's 100 where i'm going on cantley if his ownership is low, I like him a lot. If his ownership is high, there's a guitar. I can't get behind a guy who has high ownership and not coming off great form. Yeah. So I'm like, ah, eh, it's not going to be for me. But you know, he checks enough boxes where he does well in Pete Dye courses. He is, you know, talent wise, one of the best golfers in this field. And we're going to get a low ownership on him. That's enough for me to, to, to buy it. And one last thing before I get to the 9K range, because Nick, you brought up Cam Smith. Uh, I. I just don't like him for like the tournaments I play, which which are kind of more the single entry, maybe three max. Because honestly, I don't think he grades out very well. I don't understand how he's he's getting all these top finishes. Because if you look at his strokes gain metrics, they're just not that impressive. With that said, do you like Cameron Smith because you think he actually like he actually grades out well in your model, or is it more of a hey, this is like amazing ownership leverage because this guy finishes high in tough fields? Like we we kind of have a tough field here, and regardless of how he's doing it, he's doing it, and and he's going to be owned at ten percent or less. Is that the theory, or you like him regardless? Well, I think now Cam Smith showed up number nine for me, so Berger was number one overall. Cantley was number four. So in this ten k range, those would be my my top two guys. And Dustin's not even in the top ten. I think he came in at eleventh. But Cam Smith, I think what bumped him up so much is over the last thirty days, I have an adjusted one point seven strokes gained putting. So when when uh, Joel was talking about how important putting should be this week, I'm not necessarily sure how much I I'm gonna weight it like with my final numbers, but right now it's pretty heavy and he's just an insanely good putter right now. The approach I'd like to see that take up a bit. So I could see like I don't know, maybe there's value in betting him not to make the cut if you're gonna fade him in DFS. Maybe just do that. And I like I wouldn't fade him in DFS. I think if I were like anti Cam Smith this week, I would just see if there's like a really big number for him to miss the cut and see if, if it's like three or four to one. Maybe that'd be the way to fade him because I don't think at like five to eight percent owned right now is what he's showing up to be. Like the upside of him is just too much for me to pass up. I'm not yeah. gonna he's not like a core play by any means. Like it's it's gonna be Cantland Burger for me up top. But Cam Smith is a is a quick number three. So word of warning to those that are listening that are like, yeah, I like the idea of fading Webb Simpson. I, I do. I feel like I, it's important to point out his success here. I mean, his history here is so good. His like, He's the defending champion. So he's first last year. 2019, he was 16th. 2018, 5th. And 2017-11. So he's never fallen out of the top 16 in the last four years. And two of those are top fives, including an outright win. So, But I, but I understand the arguments on that. And I, I do think there's other guys you can pivot to for sure. 9K range. Um, Joel, I'll start with you. We've got 
Owen Wilson, otherwise known as Will Zalatoris. We got Terrell Hatton, Corey Connors, Paul Casey, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Sung J.M. Listening to some podcasts and, you know, being on a show yesterday, you either love or you hate this 9K range. That's sort of what I'm gathering. I'm sort of in the hate category, and I like the idea of grabbing two 10K guys and just seeing wh where the chips fall in terms of, hey, maybe you go to 8K, then you go to 17K, then two high six, you know, high 6K guys or, you know, some, some sort of combination of that. Or just one 10K guy, and then you, you just skip this range altogether or what have you. I don't mind doing that, but I know a lot of people love this range. Where do you stand? I'm closer to the love this range than they. I think what we're, in my opinion, and something I do a lot, you heard me talk about this with, with DFS, is one of the big things I factor is um, DFS pricing, right? So, like, you know, if DJ costs 8500 I'd like him this week, right? But at his price tag, it doesn't make sense. And that's kind of like where I'm shaking out. So when I look at the 9K range, a lot of these guys are interchangeable with the 10K range. Like, I don't think a big difference. So we can get the, the savings down here. I think there's going to be a lot of value. So I'll start with Willie Z. He put on a, a show last week, and I think he kind of showed the world that he's for real and that he's not just like this guy guy that, that got hot this year. I mean, he's playing in every tournament that they let him play in, and he's competing in every almost every single week, and especially last week at the Masters. So I don't think he's going away anytime soon. And, you know, a top 10 is certainly within the realm, even winning the tournament. So I like Zalatoris a lot. I also really like the way Corey Connors is playing. I mean, when you want to talk about a ball striker, um, consistency, I mean, he has all that. If you can take away some of those real tough, challenging holes that he blew up with at a little bit at the Masters that he won't have here, and he can be a little bit more consistent, I think he's going to have a, a really good week. So I like Connors a lot. And then uh, the last two guys in this race, I just want to mention, I, I like Fitzpatrick. I want to go back to, to the realm there. You know, last week, he got tied for 34th, and that was disappointing, right? And tied for 34th at the Masters like is not also bad. And before that, he's just been racking top 15. So, um, you know, we need him, obviously, at this price to get us in the top 10 or a little right there at least. So you do, need, you do have high expectations, but he's been playing great golf. And I think someone that's getting overlooked, someone we mentioned last week, is Tyrell Hatton. Uh, you know, he actually won me a lot of money on Sunday showdown because a lot of people overlooked him. His price got, like I say, disrespected. They really shoved him all the way down into the 7,000s range. Uh, but he's, he's a really good golfer. I think he, he may have found something toward the end of the Masters, bringing some of the momentum here this week. Uh, could be a sneaky uh, way to get different. Oh, great. I think Hatton's a great way to get different. Totally agree. Uh, Nick, 9K range. Who do you like? Man, everybody's chalky, right? I don't know. I don't know what to do. I, I, Zalator showed up like, was he it's fifth overall for me? So it's like it's hard for me to avoid that. I think just every everybody in this is a great play. I always love Paul Casey. I think this is another great course for him. I think all the Europeans should play extremely well at Harbor Town because it's kind of a, a European-style course. And Fitzpatrick, I guess he fits a European native. I just – that narrative, I'm sorry – I just don't really ever play him, and I don't regret it too much. Mm -hmm. Sanjay M is interesting to me. He was he's going to be a fade overall, like anything in, in betting or DFS. He's ranked like thirty second for me, so there's just no purpose for me to play him at this price. But I think overall, Connors, Hatton, and Casey are going to be my guys, and I'm not sure what to do with Zalatoris yet. Like I think he gained six and a half strokes putting at the Masters, so you take that away. Like if he can't do that again, then I don't know if he's worth 9.7 K, but that dude just, he's so safe. Uh, I'm just going to go on record as saying that, that I, I have a feeling a lot of these hot nine K guys are going to not crash and burn, but just not like, I, I, I just, I don't see Corey Connors doing and Paul Casey and Will Zalatoris doing this on 
this much of a consistent basis. And by the way, I do want to ask you guys this, and Nick, I'll start with you here. Corey Connors, Abraham answer. I know we haven't gotten to answer yet. Uh, there's a couple other guys that have played three tournaments in a row. So that includes, I think Matt Kuchar is one of them too. So that includes match play. And then there was the Valero. And then there was, of course, the Masters. And, and match play and the Masters, depending on how much you played at mass, match play, like it can be wearing both physically and mentally, emotionally, if you will. So it, knowing that those guys I just mentioned played three tournaments in a row, I mean, I know these guys are, you know, basically athletes and, and it shouldn't be a problem. They play golf all the time. Nick, I know you play golf all the time, but if you played three tournaments in a row like that, would you be worried on that fourth tournament of some sort of fatigue or that's just not an issue at all? I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just asking. Yeah, I mean, this is more of a, I mean, Augusta's grueling, like there's so much slope in that course and walking it is just a workout in itself. And then doing that five days in a row because they all played on Wednesday too. So mm-hmm. that I would certainly take that into consideration, but this is a, a small and flat course for the most part. So I don't know if it's going to be that big of a problem, but for like Kuchar, yeah, I'm going to be a fade on like the older guys <laughs> that just played that much, but I don't. I mean, you could kind of say the same for Paul Casey. He's getting up there in age, but I don't know. It, that's a tough question. I think me personally, I, I'm not going to worry about it too much. But uh, I don't know. That's a really tough question. I, I don't know if there's there's got to be some sort of metrics behind that that can grade that. that I can answer that question for you. There's a, there's a clear answer for me, and here's what it is. You want to wait. You want to look at the guys that that might be tired. But here's the issue with doing that. If you a guy rates out really good in your model and you like him, and then you're like, well, but it's his fourth tournament in a row. He might be really tired, and you don't play him, and he wins the tournament. You're just going to be like, that made no sense. Why would I not play a professional golfer because it's his fourth tournament in a row, and my model liked him just because he played four tournaments in a row? So I can't take that into consideration because anytime I fade somebody because they're tired and they do well, I'm just going to be so upset with myself that I just can't factor it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and I will say this, the model, which I, I don't even know if, if the model that I've created is going to be like my final model, but I'll tell you, Corey Connors, Paul Casey, and who was the other guy? We just Will Zalatoris. They're all in my top eleven. So now the model I'm looking at right now doesn't have any sort of Pete Dye overlay. So there, that, there's that. But these are young golfers. They're not going to have a lot of of Pete Dye experience. Or at least at least the first two are Corey Connors and Will Zalatoris. So yeah, I mean, I, I guess I like them. But if I was going to choose one of those three, and those are the three I like the most in the nine K range. I think I I think I would fade Will Zalatoris, and I think it would be either Corey Connors or Paul Casey, and I'd probably lean towards Paul Casey because I I do think if if Corey Connors gets in trouble, it's usually around the green. Sometimes with the putter, of course, but it's usually around the green, and that could be a problem with him here with such small greens. Um, before we get to the 8K range, Austin, always I'm always going to show the compliments. So <laughs> back in black, I assume that's a compliment. Um, that's just my Persian heritage coming into play, always wearing black. So uh, thanks for listening. Austin's one of my good friends from first grade, if you guys can believe that. And he's also oh. a big fan of Wind Daily Sports and the show. So uh, that's pretty cool. Um, 8K range. Joel, I'm going to start with you this time. This is a slightly bigger range than the 9K range, but I mean, it's not, you know, it's not immense. It's certainly not immense. And, and we start out with Abraham Answer, who we talked about at the front of the show He's going to be very popular for good reason. Then we've got Tommy Fleetwood. He's going to be probably a third of the ownership of Abraham Answer, and he's starting to come on. Then we go down the list, Brian Harmon, another guy that's going to be popular for, for good reason. And then Sergio, Shane Lowry, Harris English. Maybe he's coming on, maybe not. Lee Westwood, Billy Horschel, Kevin Na, and then finally Matt Kuchar, who I think we've all decided we're probably not playing in this tournament, nor are many others. Although he, he is a decent course fit. Who do you like in the 8K range, Joel? 
So because of the already reasons discussed with, you know, Kitai experience and all that stuff, I like answer a lot. The unfortunate thing is you're going to have to eat the chalk with playing him. I'm, I'm going to. Um, I'm going to ride with him. Uh, I just think, you know, a lot of things make sense. And in this field, I did, like we said with the other thing, his price is a little bit of a discount, right? He could easily have been the same price as Will Zalatoris or one of those guys. So you get a little bit of savings by getting a guy like him. Probably wise a little bit chalky, but it makes sense. I think, you know, if you wanted to pivot to Tommy Fleetwood and play both of them, it makes sense. Tommy Fleetwood is the same kind of idea in that, you know, he's as in this field, he's as good as, you know, outside the top four guys, he's as good as anyone. Um, you know, you're getting a little bit of savings on his price. And with the low ownership, that's probably the most attractive thing about a maybe top, a, a top 10 golfer in the field, you know, getting le- definitely less than 10% ownership. I'm actually going to be fading Brian Harmon this week. Um, you know, while he's been playing great, no denying that, to me, he's more, he's not the type of guy that's super great for drafting scoring. So for him to be in your lineup, you need him to really be almost like top five because he's not going to, I don't think, accumulate enough birdies and whatnot to just like be like a 30th and, you know, be in the winning lineup. So um, for me, I don't love Harmon um, this week. I'm going to be fading him. Uh, but I do – I will play some Sergio, um, and I will play some Kevin now. So that will kind of round up my, my AK range. Yeah, and I wonder if Harmon is going to be – I mean, because it's a shorter track, if maybe – if your opinion is, well, you're right, he's not a big DK score, but but maybe he's going to be able – at least say he has a higher upside or a higher potential because it is a shorter track. And, of course, he's a shorter hitter. I mean, is, does that – does that make sense to you, or is that you're still like not loving that because the other guys are still going to be getting more opportunities, birdie or you know, birdie or better gained, or however you want to characterize that? So, uh, yeah, I mean, because the shorter track will have some more birdie opportunities. I just think compared to the field, he's just going to be lower than the rest. Um, and you know, Brian Harmon, while he's had a great stretch the last few weeks, I still go back to he is who he is, which is above average at best. Uh, and that's going to, to me, I think that's just going to average out and that's going to happen sooner than later. Yeah. I think, I think that's part of being successful in DFS golf is knowing when to stop taking the trend because it, it probably for a guy like Brian Harmon, it is probably going to plateau and then decline at some point. So you don't want to be on that train when it's declining or, or necessarily even plateauing. So that, that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I think I'm going to be on Brian Harmon certainly more than you, but the logic certainly makes sense. And especially when you put him up against a lot of these guys in the 8k range that are, you know, at least have as much upside as Brian Harmon. I, I think there's at least a few guys you could make that argument for uh, Nick 8k range. Who do you like? Shane Lowry, tournament winner. You heard it here first. Wow. Okay, so can just for, for those listening, we have this um we have this chat, of course, like the, the Wind Daily guys have a have a golf chat. And Nick is, you know, he's he's actually a lot more active in it now than he was maybe a few months ago because he does football. the Better Golf podcast and well well, this is like just the golf chat. We have our football chat too, but you know, he, he's doing the Better Golf podcast, of course, um, which uh, I'm assuming everybody listening is subscribed to. But, you know, so he's kind of a little bit more active. But last week, he jumps in our chat. There's all kinds of text messages going back and forth. He jumps in our chat randomly, like unprovoked. Like it was like, it's not like we were asking Nick a question. Not that that's what is needed for him to jump in the chat. But it was so weird because he goes, Justin Rose wins the tournament. This is before his Hideki call. It's like a couple days before the Hideki call, which obviously both were really good calls. You got to see the clip on my on my Twitter because it's, it's he he called both of those uh, on the air. But 
Anyway, we, we were all like, what do you talk? Like, what? Can we get a rationale? Can we get an explanation? He went dark, so nobody like followed his advice. And <laughs> Justin Rose is the leader after round one, has an amazing round, and basically is, is near leading the tournament up until, you know, Sunday morning, essentially. And uh, so now when he comes out with somebody that's like kind of out of left field, which Shane Lowry to win this tournament certainly is, I got to ask you, is this just kind of one of those things you're just going to leave us high and dry and be like, just trust me? Or or do we have a rationale here? No, I got a rationale. His uh, his iron play is like the best it's ever been. And I was kind of watching him. I had a lot of him um, last week. So I was just watching him play. Like he's going to fit this course so well. He's better on the shorter courses anyway. And then, like I said, I think this sets up well for European players. I just think his form is as good as we're going to see. So I took him as more of the price at 55 to one is, is what I got him at. I think DraftKings still has him there, but I think with where his game is and the strokes gained approach is the best that we've seen out of Shane Lowry. I think in a long, long time, I think this is a very good spot for him, especially at 8.5 K. He's kind of like right in the middle there of so many guys that we all know, like Harmon. All right. He's in great form. A lot of ownership's going to go there. Abraham answer. Everybody's going to play him. I think Shane Lowry has as much upside, if not more, Hey, I mean, the guy's a major winner, and no one's talking about him. I think him and Fleetwood are probably my favorite in this range, and then Sergio Garcia as well. I think all these guys should be around 15% in ownership, and they're not going to be. Sergio, it's more that, like, he's just such a bad putter, but his iron play is, you know, maybe second to just Morikawa and Justin Thomas. And, and Corey Connors, obviously, we love him. But I think Shane Lowry and Tommy Fleetwood, and then Sergio will be the only three people I play in the AK range. I'm not going to play Anser. I hope it doesn't kill me. Maybe I'll play him in cash because he does show up as the 12th best golfer in my mouth, so it's like I can't ignore that. But for, like, larger field GPP, I, I will not make a lineup with Anser. But I think Shane Lowry will be in every single single-entry GPP build that I do with honorable mention to Fleetwood and Garcia. I mean, I, I love the argument. I mean, I'll tell you that the guys that are, some of them appear in my um, initial picks article, which again, windailysports.com for all of our articles. Um, and I don't know, guys, you probably guys probably know the promo code um, that we have running right now, but I'll, I'll make sure I have that next week. But it's easy. Go For those listening, go to windailysports.com and promo code will probably just jump right out at you. But um, the guys I sort of checked before I even wrote my initial picks article after the limited research was of course, Abraham answer, Brian Harmon, Sergio Garcia, and then a little bit of Tommy Fleetwood, you know, of course, acknowledging that everybody's going to like answer and Harmon. Um, but yeah, I think Lowry's amazing leverage. I could totally see him being in a Millie maker lineup. He's definitely going to be under 10% and likely closer to 7%, you know, so talk about ownership leverage. Um, that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, anyone else, Joel, anyone else in the 8k range you want to mention, or we, we, we wrapped it up. I think I think we're, we we pretty much wrapped up. I mean, I'll, I'll just mention again the last guy that is on my radar that I that I do like this week is uh, Kevin Na. I think Kevin Na has a good history here. He's he's coming off a, a good week at the Masters. Um, his around the green, his driving has been really solid. And at eight K, like at the very bottom of the range, it's, it's a pretty good price for him. Yeah, and I'm looking at his course history right now, and it is very good. A tenth in 2019, a miscut. And then 39th and then 4th. And by the way, for those of you that don't know, Abraham Answer, who, you know, some of us are going to fade and some of us are not going to fade, uh, second place finish last year. Um, and then the only other time was a miscut the year before that. So obviously he has the upside to take down this tournament. Uh, 7K range. Joel, I'll start with you. This is a huge range. So maybe you can go through the whole range if you want in terms of guys you like, or you could just sort of stop short at like 7,500. Um, let me know some of the some of the guys you like in this range. Yeah, so I'll try and be quick here. I've been on for a couple weeks uh, Siwoo Kim. 
His recent form is strong. I mean, his last three tournaments at the Players, he was ninth, 23rd at Valero, 12th at the Masters. His history here is, is interesting in that the last two years he missed the cut. But before that, he has second, and then in 2016, he has 14th. So he has two really strong showings. Most recently, he has two missed cuts. But he's coming into this in, in really great form. And he's a guy that's very hit or miss, right? He gets on hot streak where when he when all his systems are clicking, he's awesome. And when he's not clicking, he's, you know, kind of combusts and probably what happened the last two years here. So I think he's I think he's on the, the better side of that hot streak right now. He's been playing really well for the last few weeks. Um, I think he's coming into this tournament, which, you know, obviously it's, it's a weaker field than the Masters. It's not a weak field by any means. But we get into the Masters and getting him under 8K, I think you can get some, some good value there. Unfortunately, he does look like he's going to be pretty highly owned. But um, I'll probably eat a little bit of that chalk as well. I'm going to skip Russell Henley. Um, I, I, I like Huntley. I think he's a good play. I usually just, he's not like one of my guys. He's not someone that I love. You know, I think if you wanted to play him, I'd probably prefer him more in cash than I would in, in a big tournament. Uh, and then, you know, the story is going to be the same with Hoffman. He's going to be very chalky. A lot of people like him. His form looks really good. Um, I like Hoffman. I, I think there's a, he, he does really well. I won't be overplaying him though. I think, um, you know, like him. In tournaments and cash, he's good for both options. But his history here is not much. You know, it's, it's okay at best. So I don't want to go overweight on, on someone like him. Um, and then, you know, to kind of run out here, I think Brandon Grace has been playing really well. He's someone who's won this tournament before. So you know he's, he's, he's capable at this course. Um, you know, even going all the way back to Puerto Rico, he won that tournament. That was obviously a way different field. That was a JV tournament. But – Ever since winning that, he's been playing well. He's been competing in every tournament he's been in for the most part since then. So I think this can be another week where, you know, he shows up and has a good week. And I think the last person I'll mention in this top tier is going to be Chris Kirk, who, um, you know, in his last five events, he's made every cut. He has two top tens, uh, two, another two top 25s. Uh, you know, his history here isn't great. So he, he doesn't have anything better than tied for 23 in the last five years. But this is a guy that I think we're getting at 7,500, and that form that we're getting is just, is too good a value. Yeah, I was actually shocked that Chris Kirk was 7,500. And I'm not saying this guy's like going to win the tournament or anything, but I fully expected him to be like a flat 8,000 or 7,900 because of that recent play. And for the record, the course history, I mean, Chris Kirk has had some you know personal troubles. So like he hasn't played the last two years. And honestly, I, I think even 2018 when he was 55th and 2017 when he missed the cut, I, mean, I think that's sort of where those troubles might have started. So I'm, you know, I kind of, in terms of Chris Kirk's history, I kind of throw all of that out the window because golf wasn't his priority in those moments. As far, I mean, that's just my take. So it's it's an easy take for me to to say because I actually like Chris Kirk, and so I do want to discard the history. But it really was a long time ago, and he's a much better golfer now than he was then. So I totally agree on Chris Kirk. I mean, as far as some of the other guys you said before, we get to um the top end of the seven K range with Nick. I haven't decided what I'm going to do with Russell Henley. He's not one of my guys either. I was kind of hoping to be convinced by you or Nick um, one way or the other. If you don't mention him, then I'm not going to be on him either. Siwoo Kim, you know, his history here is just sort of sort of troubling, but he is, of course, everybody knows he's a Pete Dye specialist. I get that. I'm a little surprised he's as popular as he is, and I'm really surprised Charlie Hoffman is as popular as he is. Now, listen, I was on the Charlie Hoffman boat like two months ago when he was like WDing and I was, I literally jumped on right after that and I, and I got the benefit of it, but I've gotten to a point now where in this field, if you're going to be chalky and you're Charlie Hoffman, 
like, no, thank you. I mean, if he was 11%, I'd be advocating for him. But, like, I just don't want to be that guy that's on a 20% Charlie Hoffman. It just – that just doesn't add up to me. And then, of course, I already talked about Chris Kirk, who, of course, is going to be chalky. But, Nick, with that, uh, the 7K range, who are some guys you like? I'm 100% with you guys on Siwoo Kim. He's grading out insanely well for me. I think well, he's 14th overall, so that's the highest he's probably ever been. Um, any thoughts on Charlie Hoffman? He's grading out as number six overall, and I'm not a Hoffman guy, but he is playing some really, really, really strong golf, and he's probably going to garner the most ownership in this price range outside of you know Chris Kirk, who I also love. I love Chris Kirk. I, I second everything you said. He's a different golfer now than he is back you know when he missed the cut in 2017, I think it was. But any thoughts on Charlie Hoffman? Because my model loves him and. It's probably just going to be a plug and play for me. I got to trust the numbers here. If he's six overall and priced at like thirtieth, that's kind of a big, a big swing for me. I mean, okay. Well, first of all, pay attention because we literally just talked about Charlie Hoffman. But with <laughs> oh, that, I'm sorry. No, that's all right. But but with that said, I mean, if he if you just said he's sixth in your model, like he's not in the top ten in my model, but he is pretty high up there. Um, and by the way, the model I create, I mean, it's it's. It, it doesn't go back too long. So, I mean, I, I, I want to give that qualifier Dude, in there. It's I'm sorry. More- you were talking about him, and I was staring at my screen and thought you were talking about Sebastian Munoz the whole time, and I don't, I don't know how it I makes mean, those two up. It's an interesting upside play, Sebastian Munoz. But, no, I mean, like, the reality is I don't want to pay – there, there's so much chalk here that, that I'm – and by the way, I do single entry, so I'm happy to eat a lot of the chalk and just get different in, in, a, in a little, a little place fine. here or there. And I think people need to understand that are listening. Like we keep saying chalk, and in our Discord, you know, Stephen might pipe in and talk about, you know, this is what you want – this is how you want to create your lineup. He's talking about the Millie Maker. Stephen specifically, when he's, ta- when he's giving ownership advice, he's talking about the Millie Maker specifically. So single entry, it's a little bit of a different analysis. I don't mind, quote, eating some of the chalk, but in Charlie Hoffman's case, I'm not doing that. I mean, if it's Abraham Answer chalk, or if it's Corey Connors chalk, or if it's Will Zalatoris chalk, uh, or if, you know, Sergio chalk, I'm willing to eat those, but not, I, don't think, I don't think I can get there with Charlie Hoffman to answer your question. That's fair. I think I'm going to lock him in cash games and just call it a day there. But my favorite plays in this price range to answer the question now, Siwoo Kim, for sure, I'm on that. I do love Sebastian Munoz. He's 22nd overall. So that's what I was trying to do is kind of shuffle the numbers to see where I had Munoz. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Kirk, I love him. I, I I don't think I even question the upside. He finished sixth at Valero. I think this guy has you know, finished very, very strong in strong fields. And I would say that this is a, a pretty strong field. But my – like overall, and and when I'm talking about like my 150s and everything, Kevin Streelman is going to be my highest owned guy in this spot. I think he's um, he's actually Spencer's favorite play of the board at the top 140. I think he's plus 130 on points bet. But Streelman, Munoz, Siwoo Kim, and then I guess Charlie Hoffman for cash. And then I'm undecided on Bazaden Hoot, but I think those are my three guys, Streelman being the, the leader in the clubhouse for me. So I want to thank both you and Spencer for reading my initial picks article because I also love Kevin Streelman. Spoiler alert. Um, I'm joking, by the way. I, I'm, I, uh, I do have him, but uh, I know you don't read my article, Nick. But don't worry, I don't take I it do. personally. I'm just I don't kidding. read it on uh, Wednesday, though, when I build lineups. Uh, but no, I, I actually love Kevin Streelman. I, I think I, Streelman is like the perfect course fit. I mean, he is going to ma- like matriculate the ball down. He's, he's basically a poor man's Webb Simpson. Or maybe like you could find somebody in the middle of Streelman and, and Webb Simpson to make it, to call him a poor man's like, I don't know, Cordy Connors or maybe a shorter hitter like uh, Paul Casey. But uh, no, I think Kevin Streelman's a great play. I, I want to ask you, okay, Michael Thompson, I think you mentioned too. I like him a lot too. But I wanted to ask you a guy that is a really good ball striker and, a, and, and on team no putt. 
that I always roster, but I'm, I'm having hesitation here because I think it's because I haven't seen his name in about a month or so. But Emiliano Grillo, any love for that guy? Joel, I'll start with you. It's so funny you mentioned that. I, was, I had this whole thing ready to go to give you credit because I know you love Emiliano Grillo. I like him a lot. I do. I think this week uh, it makes a lot of sense for Emiliano Grillo. Um, listen, at the Corrales, he got six. I know that's a, it's a JV tournament, so it's hard to compare. But listen, these are still professional golfers to finish six among a group of press golfers. He was playing good golf coming into this. And before that, he missed a cut at the players, but he was 21st at the Honor Palmer. He was 11th in Puerto Rico. So he's got a string of some good runs coming. He also has a pretty good history. He missed the cut last year, but 33rd and 16th the two years before that. Um, if he plays well this week, he should. he's going to compete. And in this field, you know, there's probably only 10 to 15 golfers that are definitively better than him, right? After that, you know, everyone's kind of in a similar kind of stratosphere in terms of golf. So at this price, I think he's a, he's a really good way to, you know, get different and, and bid lineups off. Um, and so let's let's round out because I know you went to the seventy five hundred mark and you kind of you kind of um, we we kicked it over to Nick in that seven that lower seven k range. Aside from Griot, and, and I, do you like Strillman as well? I like Strillman. Um, I probably wasn't as high as you guys were on him going into this, but um, I think you guys make some good points, and I'll probably even bump him up a little bit after kind of talking to you guys and seeing everyone else likes him. Um, I do. I like a lot that that Nick mentioned. It. I do like Munoz a lot. I think Munoz is underrated. I think it gets a little bit um, uh, overlooked in the and especially. Listen, like I said, this is not like a full blown. This is a, a almost a regular field. I would say it's a slightly weaker field than normal. But I guess coming after the Masters, it looks a little differently. But in this field, you know, he's is a similar kind of sentiment I have with Grillo, right? After the top 10, 12 guys, he's as good as anyone. Uh, and he, when he finds a hot week. You know he can win the tournament. So uh, he started to look. He's played well. Like if you notice on Sunday at the Masters, he he started off really poorly and kind of imploded, and then he's finished really strong. And you know it, I almost was like because I played a lot of him in Showdown on Sunday, and early on I was like, oh, I'm done. And then he came on and had a ton of birdies in the back nine. So if he can carry some of that momentum into this week, uh, he could be a really sneaky play. Um, I want to ask you both about a guy that I'm really starting to like, but I think I'm a little late to the party, and that's Lucas Glover. Um, I think both of you have been on him. Nick, I know you have been on him recently, um, I think as, as recent as a couple weeks ago. Uh, Nick, so I'll start with you. Lucas Glover, um, is, are you rostering him this week? I'm, I'm in between. I, kinda, I have to make a decision on a, a guy my model loves is Adam Hadwin. So Glover ranks top 25 and Hadwin's 22nd, Glover's 24th. So I maybe I'll just make a lineup with both of them and use a lot of value there. But I do like both, but a slight edge to Adam Hadwin. Ever since he's been working with Mark Blackburn, the new swing coach, yep. I, I think we're going to see uh, – this guy used to be a, just a walking top 20 in golf two years ago. I think this is the course that should fit him very well. It's not very long at all. It's only like 7,100 yards. Short greens, his green and regulation used to be great. I think he's finding that again. I think we're going to see a very good week of iron play for Adam Hadwin, and I would not be surprised if he finishes top 10. Yeah, the, the iron game hasn't been there like it was like a couple years ago for Hadwin, but yeah. you're right. Ever since, ever since you know, having the swing coat Blackburn there, it, his game has obviously improved. So it's just a matter of like when is it really improved to pay off in, in the DraftKings or the betting circles. It could be this week. I, I actually was going to be a little bit more patient with him, but 
I don't think patience is really the right the right thing to do in DFS. I think you kind of have to jump on early with guys like that. So I like the Hadwin call. Um, Joel, do you have any thoughts on Lucas Glover or anyone else in the 7K range before we get to that 6K range? Yeah, just quickly. I, my take on Lucas Glover is interesting. It, it's very similar to me as um, Brian Harmon, but the big difference is he's not chalky and he's $1,600 less. So you know, if Brian Harmon was $7,100 and low-owned, I would love him this week. And so I like Lover. Um, you know, I, I don't think he's the best, you know, DraftKings scorer. But at this point, the the, the positive check marks of a good price, good form, uh, ownership being manageable, you know, th- that formula is kind of what I'm looking for for my lineup. So I, I will be playing some Glover. And one other person, just to throw out more of a GPP play, but something that's definitely going to be interesting this week is JT Posted. Um, you know, his, his current form is a mixed bag, right? He's, he's had some success. He's had some missed cuts, but he's done really well here. He's two top tens. He's only two times playing the course. So if, if he, if he's clicking, if his iron play is, is in line this week, he can certainly contend at this price. Yeah, that makes sense. Second that big time. I love posting. Um, Joe of all trades, love the show. I catch it every week. So he knows how to get on the show, obviously. All you have to do is compliment us. Or you can ask us a question or submit a lineup, uh, and we can we can critique that, which, of course, we do in Discord pretty much all of Wednesday and Wednesday night, and sometimes even on Tuesdays. I might look at some uh, in Discord later. So please uh, join the Discord chat as soon as possible. Okay, 6K range. I mean, it starts off with a couple, in my opinion, kind of heavy hitters, especially – when you consider, you know, this field is a little less than, like what Joel said, a little less than average in terms of uh, the talent pool. I mean, Doug Gim, to me, sort of jumps off the page. Matthew Naismith jumps off the page. And then you have, you know, familiar names like Luke List, Ryan Moore. You go down a little bit. You know, Snedeker, who's playing well. Rory Sabatini. You know, you keep going down. Chase Seifert is there, who's been playing pretty well. Stuart Sink. These are all, like, all the names I mentioned are guys that I kind of like. I'm, I'm probably going to play a little bit of. But... I'll tell you what, Nick, let's start with you. Give me a handful of 6K guys you like. So I actually just cleared up my player pool completely for this range. So I am keeping in Neesmith. Obviously, I think he grades out extremely well. The guy that grades out the best for me in this range overall, though, is Patton Kassire. I think that this is a really good tournament for him. He's probably going to be the most popular of the guys down in that 6.5K range, but this course fits him great. He's from the area. Um, And then I think the other guy, I, I mean... I can never get Russell Knox right. It seems like my numbers always love him. But then Doug Gamm, I think he's just completely mispriced for how well he's played this year. He kind of fell off the last two tournaments, but I think this is a good bounce back spot. And then my boy, Brandon Hagee. Uh, my model always likes him, and it seems like when it does, for the value, of course, that he's a really good play. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do with Snedeker. We did see him play well at the Valero, but I'm not really a, a Snedeker guy. So I don't know, but I think it's just it's those three for me. Yeah, I, I love Naismith and Gim. I, I do want to get this out there because I'm looking at our Discord now. We've got a couple of narratives that we need to make sure are out there. Michael Thompson, who I, I believe, Nick, you brought up, and I've been a Thompson fan for quite some time. He's 7,200, so he's not in the 6K range. But I think his last two finishes here are 8th and 10th. But it's I know also, the Naismith story. I know the yeah, okay. story. But it's yeah. also his birthday on Friday. So um, maybe I need to – maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe I need to throw him in the – first round leader conversation and that that'll be like his birthday present to himself on friday but the other narrative of course is matthew naismith uh, proposed to his now wife on the 18th green um and for the record matthew naismith also rates out really well in my model and is awesome yep. on approach typically you know the one thing about doug gim joel before we kick it to you is 
his sort of disaster in the last few tournaments has been that short game around the green and his putter hasn't been that good to him either. So again, this is for me, this is a course where around the green, I did bump up just a little bit relative to, to normal. So that does scare me quite a bit. And I don't think he has any history on this course as well. So if I'm comparing Doug Gim to like a Matthew Naismith, for example, I'm definitely giving the edge to Matthew Naismith. But I, I would agree with the sentiment that Doug Gim has as high of upside as Naismith or higher upside than Naismith. So for me, Doug Gim is not a cash game play, whereas Matthew Naismith is. And Doug Gim is certainly a GPP play. But I like, I like them both for GPP. Uh, Joel, uh, 6K range, who do you like? Yeah, I think there, there's some there's some viable plays here in the 6K range. I think Gim and Naismith at the top, these two guys are guys that easily could be priced five to you know a thousand five hundred to a thousand dollars more, and no one would have batted an eye. So it's just good value um, from these two in that perspective. I like Ryan Moore. Ryan Moore has been driving the ball pretty well. He's very accurate, which is what you're going to need here. Um, you know, his history at this course is a mixed bag, but. You know, he's grading out for me well this week, and he's going to be coming under or pretty low and probably under 5%. Um, can you just go down and, you know, as a GPP play, someone that, you know, at this price, if you want to take a look at Doc Redman, I, I, I'd be okay with that. He's tied for 21 last year. You know, his form hasn't been very good, so you're really taking a shot at somebody, but he's capable, right? He has the upside. We've seen him compete at in much tougher field, so he's going to need to find something. But at this price, he's worth taking a shot on. Um, one of my, I think, sleeper plays of the week, because I don't think he's going to be very high-owned, um, but I could be wrong about this, is Camilo Viegas. Is that saying his name right? Viegas? Yeah, Viegas, yep. Viegas. Viegas, um, technically. He's, he's been competing, right? So, you know, Valero, he was 17th. He missed the cut at Putnikana, and he is eighth at the Honda. So, and he, he's, a, not, he's not a young guy. So, if you want to look at history, I mean, we can go all the way back to 2013 with him. He got ninth in 2013. He was 27th in, in 2014. Since then, he, he hasn't done too great here. But I'm playing him more on a play of he's found something recently. He's been playing pretty well over the last month. And if he continues to do that, uh, he can compete in this field. So at this price with him, I mean, you're basically getting him near the you know 6,500. It's pretty much as, usually as cheap as we usually get on this show. We don't typically go much below that. I think he could be a nice sneaky GPP play. Yeah, I'm so mad at Camilo Vijegas because I had a six for six. If he had made the cut at Corrales, that probably would have won a lot of money. And, you know, it was one of the he was coming off a really good week. And Corrales was kind of a, a watered down field. I thought he I didn't think it was a lock to make the cut. But I was like, all right, I'm, I'm somewhat comfortable with him, even though I don't normally roster him. And he was pretty terrible. Like he didn't even come close to making the cut. But then, you know, he's bounced back since. So I don't know how to read him, which is why I'm probably not going to have him. But there's certainly upside there. Let me just shout out a couple more names that I think are kind of in the, the sleeper, 2% or less owned range. Kyle Stanley. I mentioned Stuart Sink. He's probably going to be closer to 4 or 5%. I mentioned Chase Seifert. But this guy's all the way down to 6,400. And he was one of the first secret weapons that I ever had. And he was awesome. And he's awesome like once every five or six tournaments. And he's when he's awesome, he's awesome on approach. And that's Tom Hoke. He's 6,400. I mean, I think I'm looking at my first round leaders. Yeah, he's one of them at 100 to 1. So stay tuned for that in a second. But I think Tom Hoke is one of those guys that can get hot. And it's usually not necessarily just hot for one day. Sometimes he's hot for one, two to three days. So at 6,400, I don't want to say that's a misprice. But I mean, Adam Long, 6,700. 
I'm not saying Adam Long's a terrible golfer, but why isn't Tom Hogue like up there with the Wyndham Clarks, Richie Wierenskis, Russell Knoxes? We've actually seen it from Tom Hogue. Some some from Wyndham Clark, of course, too, and Wierenski, but um, I think he's mispriced. I just think it's a bad price on him. And if you're going to play, you know, the, the Millie Maker and have 150 lineups, I think you should have a few with Tom Hogue. If we go like super down in the range, Jason Duffner is another guy that's good on approach. I'm talking, we're, we're dumpster diving here. Wesley Bryan was good on approach and you know kind of his his game's fallen off a little bit and the last guy last couple guys i'll mention bo hogue 6200 you know we've rostered him in the past he's he's not bad i think he's a former winner here actually tyler duncan 6100 he's usually accurate off the tee he can sometimes be good on approach his short game is terrible and i'm just going to throw this guy out there because i want to i want to have it on film so i can be like i told you it's ridiculous and i actually have him as a first round leader just because it's so ridiculous He's my guy, Danny Lee. Danny Lee is 6,200. He's completely fallen off the map. But if you recall a year, two years ago, he was like a decent guy that would make, you know, one or two of, of four cuts or one or two of three cuts. So I'm just hoping his game is maybe back. And, you know, if you want to throw a flyer as a first round leader or one lineup of 150 with Danny Lee, uh, I think I think that is advisable. Um, anybody else in the 6K range you guys want to mention before we get to uh, Outright's first-round leaders in some top 20s, top 40s? The last guy that I'm just going to mention, mainly because it's a good transition into Outright's because I like it more as just like something to mention if you want to think about it right. He's won the tournament before, and you can get him at 500-1 to one to win it now. Um, is it a good bet? Probably not, but... Satoshi Kodaira, listen, this is a guy that has won the tournament and, and within the last three years. So it's not like it was 10, 20 years ago that he won it. And 500 to 1 is – when you get on guys that have no business competing in tournaments. So starters, I don't think he's going to win. Do not mortgage your home and put it on this bet. <laughs> but for a guy that's won the tournament, 500 to 1 is a, is a crazy number to get for someone that's that can do it. Uh, I just need to note because you say his last name funny, and I actually kind of like him on this course. Ryan Armour is sixty two hundred. I'm just, oh, I'm just saying. Armour. Yeah, Armour. <laughs> so I'm just, uh, uh, I'm just saying. I'm not saying you should roster him, but I'm saying you should you should roster him. Um, Nick, you got any outrights for us? Again, you're on the Better Golf Podcast. Have you already recorded? That's probably going to be released later tonight. Is that right? Correct. Yes. yes. Okay. And you've got outrights on there. I'm sure you've got top 20s, top 40s, top 30s, some head-to-heads. You do all of that stuff on the Better Call pod, right? Yes, sir. So don't give us all the outrights. Leave, leave the fans wanting, but give us a few that you're, you're you know, somewhat confident in, it, to the extent you can be confident in outrights, which I realize is a little bit absurd. I think it's going to be a, a strong golfer that wins this tournament. I like Berger at 23-1. to 1. I like Sergio. At, actually, I don't like Sergio at 45-1. to 1. I like Sergio at top 10. Um, then I like Shane Lowry at 55 to one and Tommy Fleetwood at 55 to one. Those are kind of my three that, uh, if I had to punch three tickets on outrights, those would be the three that I would choose for sure. Heavy on Shane Lowry though. Love it. I'm definitely punching a Shane Lowry ticket immediately after this call. Um, you know, you got to do it. You got to do it while Nick says it or immediately after because the sports books hear it and they actually change the lines. Like in two hours, like it's going to spread like wildfire and he'll be down to like 35 to one. Uh, Joel <laughs> outrights. Uh, who do you like? If anybody? I got, I got four outright plays for this week. I think my, my favorite and the, the most realistic one, I like Morikawa 21 to one on, on DraftKings. I think this is a week where, where I think he's going to pop. Um, so I think you get a, a good value with him. As he's probably he could be the best golfer in this field. Getting him at the fifth by the odds, it could, could looks pretty good. And then my my more fun bets, I have 
Uh, at 90 to 1, Robert McIntyre, who just finished in the top 15 at the Masters, uh, coming over here. You know, it could be something at 90 to 1, some pretty good odds. And then at 100 to 1, you know, Nick's guy, Patton Kazire, I think is a really good value. And at also 100 to 1, Robert Munoz. Oh, Sebastian, Sebastian Munoz? Munoz? Oh, yes. Yeah, right. um, that's 100 to 1? 100 to 1. That's a great number. And, I, and honestly, I didn't look at his first round leader number, which I'm disappointed in myself because he's usually. I like got that it right number. here. It is he's also 100 to 1. Is it really? Oh, I thought it would yeah. be shorter than no, that. No, 80 to 1. 80 there to 1 on points bet. Yeah, he's always a first round leader, isn't he? I mean, him and Charlie Hoffman, yeah. basically. They just rotate every other tournament. Um, I, I think I have to add him to my ridiculous first round leader card. So here's, here's a five outrights for you. Um, some are super long because that's fun. Um, but I actually think they're at, uh, they're realistic too, and, and a few of them are short. So I like Daniel Berger as well at twenty two to one. I don't want to go any shorter than that because like I do like Webb, but twelve to one, I just have no interest in that. I think Berger twenty two to one, that's where I got him. I don't know Nick if that was your number. You might have said twenty four, but anything in the twenties for Berger is really good value in my opinion. Uh, Brian Harmon forty to one. I do like Brian Harmon. I, like I agree that he might plateau, but he's also been really hot. And in this field and on this course, I think he could take advantage. Chris Kirk at 66 to 1. I can't say I'm super confident in that, but I just like the number there. Uh, Michael Thompson and Lucas Glover are both 125 to 1. Michael Thompson has come close to victory here. He's top 10 in his last two. Uh, he's not exactly like a class golfer among, you know, the Webb Simpsons and the DJs, but he's clearly comfortable here. He's a good ball striker, and he's a very good course fit for, for um the RBC. So those are my five outrights. Uh, anybody got first round leader? Uh, let's start with you, Joel. Any first round leaders? So I don't really have any first round leaders, to be honest with you. But uh, just to have some fun and, and kind of throw one out there, I'm going to go for CT Pan at 90 to 1. Love it. Love it. All right. Uh, Nick, first round leaders. Well, you know, Adam Edwin at 80 to 1, and then Shane Lowry at 60. Adam Hadwin and Shane Lowry at 60. All right. So I'm going to give, let's see, one, two, three. I'm going to give you six. I was only going to give you five, but that Michael Thompson birthday on Friday, I have to throw him in at, at 80 to one. And I then can't I'll, get behind uh, Michael Thompson. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I've, I've never played him. I don't know what my model hates about him, but maybe it's just because his sister's better than him at golf. But I, I don't know. It, is I'm, that true? Yeah, Lexi's a stud. Oh, Let's that's his out. sister. Okay, I actually yeah, didn't Lexi, know that. Yeah. You're yeah, breaking news. Um, man, I, I can't. I can never get behind that guy unless he's priced like mid sixes. Yeah. So I actually, I actually like that because I hated your Hideki call last week and he won. So maybe okay. Michael no, Thompson right. like top Payback. fives or something. So this is actually perfect. So um, okay. So Michael Thompson first round leader eighty to one. I have a ridiculous one. Tyler Duncan one hundred and fifty to one. Danny Lee, 201. We're just having fun here, folks, right? I mean, maybe they're not related. Sorry. It may be fake news. Uh, it might be. Yeah, yeah. You let me know. So, yeah. okay. So we got Michael Thompson, Tyler Duncan, Danny Lee at all ridiculously long odds. Tom Hogue at 100 to 1, also ridiculously long odds. And then two guys that are, I think are a little bit more realistic. One is going to be the breaking news, of course. Charlie Hoffman's 50 to 1. I think any tournament Charlie Hoffman is in. Just for the sake of ceremony, you have to at least put a dollar on it, you know, or or hopefully like $5 because he does get hot in round one typically. But here's the breaking news. Are you guys ready? 
Joel, are you ready? You haven't affirmed or denied whether you're ready or not. 902, I'm ready. 902, looking at the the no watch. 902, it's <laughs> Tuesday night on the Win Daily PGA Show. And I'm about to tell the world who the first round leader is going to be in 48 hours, which sounds impossible, but I'm about to do it. So here goes. The first round leader at the RBC Heritage in 2021. And I'm telling you this on a Tuesday, folks. So run to your sports book and put all of the money that you have in all of your bank accounts on this player at 66 to 1, who has been mentioned and endorsed by none other than at T Off Sports, Spencer Aguiar. It's Kevin Streelman, 66 to 1. That mm-hmm. is your first round leader at the RBC Heritage. You're welcome, America. With that, uh, Nick. Any head-to-heads or top 40s that you really like? Don't give us all of them. I want people to listen to the Better Golf Pod. Give me like one or two that you like or guys that you're looking for to be in head-to-head matchups. Maybe they're not out yet or something like that. Um, I haven't really gone through all the matchups that I like yet, but top 40, Kevin Streelman. Let's go. Let's keep riding that. It's plus 130 on points bet. Sebastian Munoz plus 150 on points bet to finish top 40. And then Adam Hadwin, plus 180. And if you need a bomb, just because, you know, I don't want to be the guy that doesn't give you big tickets, let's go Harry Higgs, plus 270, top 40 on points bet. We almost forgot to mention Harry Higgs. That would have been a disaster. (laughs) Oh, We have to mention him every show. I usually disparage him, but everybody else seems to love him. And honestly, he is playing a lot better. He's a cool dude, yeah. I mean, he's a cool dude. Yeah, I just, yeah, we... This this dates back a long time. Now I'm kind of like bunkered in. Like I can't dig myself out anymore because I've, I'm like I'm playing this role of hating and making fun of Harry Higgs. So Harry Henry Higgs is what we we call him uh, yeah. when back in Michael's day, which was so long ago. I'll give you a couple <laughs> top twenties uh, before we close the show. Uh, Brian Harmon at plus one sixty, top twenty, I think is pretty a pretty good number. And Matthew Naismith at plus three fifty. I mean, I I'm, you know. It's a plus 350 number, so that's why I like it. If it was like plus 250, I wouldn't like it nearly as much. So those are a couple that just sort of jumped out at me. I don't really get into the top 20 and 40 market as much as I should. So maybe I'll be listening to the Better Golf Pod and, and, and dipping my toe in a little bit further. But uh, with that, uh, Joel. I got, a, go I, got a, I got a couple top 40s that I really like. I, I love oh, nice. Siwoo Kim at minus 110, basically a coin flip. Top 40 in this field, I think. That's a really good number for him. Yeah. Um, I also like Tommy Fleetwood at minus 120. I mean, he's you know listed and drafting his price as a top 15 golfer. To get him to finish in the top 40, he doesn't have to break the world. And, and that's, almost, again, another basically coin flip bet. So, these are again, these are really winnable bets. Like It's a lot different than picking the leader or the winner. So, these are bets that you can actually bet a real unit on and still have a good sweat for the weekend. Yeah, I mean, I'm starting to think that Tommy Fleetwood is a really, really clever, smart, good ownership leverage play. I mean, especially in that 8K range where you've got so many guys that so many people are going to like for good reason. Abraham Answer, Brian Harmon, Sergio Garcia. Um, some people might jump on Harris English or, or you know, Matt Kuchar. Um, I, I think Fleetwood's the smart one. I think that's where the smart money is right now. So I actually like that play. Um, with that, Joel, any, any closing thoughts on the RBC Heritage? This is a course that, you know, if, if you haven't heard already, the greens are really small. It's, it's a little bit – the players love it. It's a challenge. Um, you know, make it your cut makers. I think the biggest lesson to learn from DFS is get guys that, you know, don't get too crazy with taking your shots. Take your shots on good players where you get lower ownership, but get your cut makers and you'll have a fun week. Yeah, makes sense. Nick, any closing thoughts? Uh, Shane Lowry, Pride of Shane Ireland. Lowry. Let's go. 
I love it. I'm so punching that ticket. I'm so excited about it because it's random. I, I He was not on my radar at all. So now uh, I'm excited about including him on, on some teams. Like I didn't do that with Justin Rose last week. Not only did I not bet him, he was on zero DFS teams. And here he is, like minus seven after round one, and I'm like, man, I gotta listen to Nick Moore, which is why it I only got worse from there, though. It only got worse from there. If that kind of, but he still paid off his price a ton in DFS, right? Yeah. So absolutely, yeah. He was a, yeah, he so, was a hell of a ticket. Um, tune into Discord for the secret weapon last week's secret weapon, which of course for those listening is less than five percent owned and under seven k. Uh, was Matt Jones, and he ended up finishing twenty first. Threw yep. an eagle in there in round two. Had a handful of birdies on Saturday and Sunday, so he paid off his price. Uh, th- Secret Weapon is now 31-6 and six overall, so pretty strong record. Um, get into Discord for that tomorrow night. We'll have the cheat sheet up on windailysports.com. We'll have more articles up tomorrow, including Stephen Pilardi's ownership article. So uh, everybody stay tuned for that. The team is working hard to make us and you some money. And with that, um, no hangover, guys. It's The Masters was last week. What's done is done. This is the RBC Heritage. Let's make as much money or more. Uh, thanks for joining the show. We will see everybody next week on the Wind Daily PGA live stream. And stay tuned for the podcast. Rate and review the podcast. And smash the like button on YouTube. All right, guys. Don't forget, closing thought, of course, every single episode is... Sports. Sports. <laughs>